Um, I'm not going to bore you tonight, despite the threats issued by your senior uh, leader, whatever you want to call him. <laughs> but uh, I'm so um, I'm so in the place. I'm just like, you know, if you were thinking, oh, I don't really know if I want to sit through another message. I would just, I just want to validate you and say, me either. Um, if you're tired, I want to say, me too. Um, so, you know, I, I, I feel like I'm going to keep it short. Really, honestly, I just, I just want to love on you guys. I love you so much. I see your faces and I just, so many of you, I just, I want to be able to, um, you know, talk more even with some of you. I swear you could ask my, um, my wife. I mean, many times, uh, I would just sit around and want to talk with you guys all night, but the reason for that a lot of times is just because I can't talk after a meeting because <laughs> I'm screaming. Um, but I really do love you guys so much. And um, I kind of just want to refresh you tonight. And I, I don't know if that's going to come by way of me teaching. Plus, this is a nice segue and cop out to not get judged and rated in my sermon tonight. <laughs> no, um, but I, I really do just love you. And I just want to love on you. So I'm probably going to pray for a lot of people tonight and just and just just refresh you. Um, it's so funny how someone could just lay their hands on you and just and just pray pray over you and just release refreshing it and it's like wow maybe it's just me uh, I um, traveling and, and you know going and and it, it's it's not often I actually have people lay hands and pray so when they do I'm like man this is awesome I see why people love this so much you know just to just to refresh you so I've already feel I've already given some words I kind of feel like I, I might do that tonight as well but um I did have a thing happen to me earlier I was sitting on the chair and um of course we all know the special thing God is doing here um let's also keep in mind that um we're you know even here is not an, an island unto itself um God's doing a lot of things all over the world and, and God's doing a lot of things in Corpus that you might not even know about too, right? I always wonder like what happens if the revival that we pray for, the move of God we ask for lands at the church down the street, do we still want it? You know, because I kind of feel like the, the thing I've learned in the last year is that oftentimes God will remind you that this whole deal we're doing right now is not really about us. It's really about the lamb. It's about Jesus. And in his beauty and goodness, he involves us into the divine uh, thing. You know, we get to walk it out with him, but it's not about us. And a lot of times we sow and don't reap. And other times we reap where we've not sown. It's the beauty of the kingdom. And it reminds us that we don't really deserve anything. We're not owed anything. And we get to participate uh, with, with the Lord. And I was sitting on the chair and, um, went into a vision. I actually saw the children. It was like real time. I saw children and men and women and leaders and, um, just the, the, the body come together. And I was instantly felt like I was taken back to the book of Acts church. As I sit there on the, uh, chair, I just went into this thing. It happened for about five minutes, but then I would open my eyes and I would still see it. I just saw this beautiful thing growing up, this beautiful thing happening, Book of Acts Church. 
We've talked about that a lot, I think, in the last 20, 30 years. People saying, I want Book of Acts Church. I want Book of Acts. And much of the time, our desire to see a more biblical church as we see it in the Book of Acts comes from a reactionary spirit more than an obedient spirit. We see what we don't like, and so out of reaction, we try to build the opposite. And it always fails because things that don't go wrong, they start wrong. That's not mine, but it's true. You know, and I feel I was sitting there on the chair, man, and I was just thinking about the fact that, that I, I felt the Lord was saying, what they're building here is really special. But the focus must always, we must remember, this is the prophetic word I felt the Lord give me, and that is that you're onto something really cool here, guys. It's not perfect. It never is and, and will not be, but God is beautifying his bride. And I believe the local church is and will always be the lifeblood of the kingdom of God. I think it's God's, really God's bride. I really believe it's the bride of Christ. And I really believe it's the vehicle through which he's going to change the world. In saying that, um, what I felt the Lord uh, speak to me uh, came out of Acts. And I want to just... I want to just give this to you because I think God does want to conquer you in a whole new way. Oftentimes we have these ideas that are grandiose in nature. We always get the word in its full measure and then we start at step one and the word we were given off, oftentimes is the step 10, what it looks like at the end. You think about Adam, when God gave Adam the word, he said, listen, you're going to take dominion and subdue the earth. His, his, his prophetic word, Adam's prophetic word, was a worldwide prophetic word. You're going to change the world. Then what did God do? He put him in a little garden east of Eden. Think about this. He put him in a garden, a small place to cultivate his own backyard because taking and subduing the earth would start in his own backyard. And, and I believe the, the words that we, we, we so love that God is going to take you here and do this with your life or God is going to change this city. He's going to change this region of Texas. He's going to change this. He's going to change America. These words are true, but they start small. And I love this scripture in the book of Acts. Um, it was so beautiful, man. It was so beautiful seeing what I saw that there, you're on to something here that's really special. But two of the things I felt the Lord say were, before I conquer the city, I've, I have to conquer you. You know, that's the focus is you being conquered. The human heart is the most contested real estate on planet Earth because it was made as a throne. And the, the great war is who is going to sit on the throne of your heart? Who will have your affections, your devotions? So there's that. And I will just go ahead and give you that. I want you to think about much of the time we get a prophetic word too. Understand this, it comes through our lens, you know, it comes through our theological lens. I don't care if you're nine years old, you have theology. Theology is your view of who God is, how he is, and how he operates. Our theology should, through the scripture and inside of community, always be um, fluid. Right, Because we're learning who God is as he reveals himself through the scriptures and in community. Side note, you were never meant to interpret God or the scriptures by yourself. It was always meant to be interpreted inside of family. 
you know, because inside of that is safety. I love that we have a new millennial movement who thinks, you know, the millennials and even the, what are they called, the Gen Zers now. And we have this group of people in the church who are in this little movement called deconstruction where we're, we're breaking everything down and start, we're like, we think we know more than 2,000 years of proven church history. We think we have this new great thing, like we're on to something brand new. And it's like, yeah, that's 2,000 years old. People have been asking these questions for a long time and come up with really great answers and done really great things. Maybe we shouldn't totally throw the baby out with the bathwater. You know what I mean? And I think that in, in saying that, um, you know, when we receive the word, it comes through our theology you know, when Jesus the Messiah came to the earth, it was common understanding in Israel in that day. You can know this not just through biblical texts, but also extra biblical texts in the form of people like Josephus, who are unbiased historians in the time of, of, of Christ, in early A.D. And so what we find is that the Messiah was thought when he would come to the earth. This is what the Jews thought. They, they thought that the Messiah would come and he would kick butt, take names, and completely take over. You have to understand, when you read what uh, the prophet Isaiah says and what David would say about the Messiah, you're like, this guy is a butt kicker. This guy is bad to the bone. When the Messiah comes, he is going to restore Israel to his former glory, just like in the days of, of the kingdom of David and, and his son Solomon. So their idea was very much so political in nature. They had this idea that the Messiah would have a political bent. He would come and restore them to their former glory. How crazy is it that the experts on the Messiah were the first ones to not only miss it, but also crucify the very thing they prayed for? It's interesting that, that you know, Jack at the tire shop finds Christ before the, the experts in the law. I mean, Peter, the cussing fisherman, if you've ever worked in like construction, you know that there's a certain language people use on construction job. I was a roofer for three years uh, in, a, in a paper mill in southern Ohio. And I can tell you, these guys really will make a sailor blush. I mean, there's certain words they use and phrases. It's a certain type of people. And, and it's, it's awesome. But these were the quality of people that Peter was like, you know. And somehow these people, the tax collectors, were able to receive the Lord when the experts missed it. Why? How does that happen? Because God is so into, and Jesus said it, you've hidden your wisdom from the wise and the learned of this age, and you've given it to little children, ones who don't have everything figured out. And I love it because, um, you know, Jesus comes, and the whole idea is, if you're really the Messiah, you're going to restore Israel as a nation to this powerful mighty, wealthy nation. And by the way, they'd been living, as you know, under Roman rule. So you could imagine the implications of how they thought the Messiah or the move of God would manifest. But when the move of God came, it defied every one of their expectations. The prophetic word was put through their lens. And you can see that even in the disciples all the way through the book of Acts. Because even at the at the beginning of the book of Acts, chapter 1, you see the disciples are like, 
Oh my gosh, you died. We thought it was all over. Now you've raised from the dead. This is great. Are you now finally going to do what we thought you were going to do all along? Cut Caesar's head off and we're going to rule and reign again as a mighty nation. And you see that when Peter asks. And this is what happens in verse 6, chapter 1 of Acts. It says this. When they come together, they asked him saying, Lord, will you now at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? The whole idea was, okay, you've raised from the dead. We know you're who you say you are. Are you finally going to do what we've been waiting for you to do this whole time? Which is, make sure that we are are, are a mighty nation once again. And this is what he says in verse 7. It's not for you to know the times or seasons which the Father has put in his own authority. But you are going to receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you'll be witnesses to me in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and at the end of the earth. So here is, and to the ends of the earth. So what is he saying? He's saying this, and I speak this to you. Listen, more than your worries about when God's going to change America, he's saying, I want you to focus on how I'm going to change you, conquer you. How is it that they said, it's time now for us to take, you know, Israel's going to be great again, a national move of God, a wave of the Spirit, a Jesus, whatever you want to call it. And he says, listen, It's not for you to know how I'm going to go about doing this and restoring Israel. Here's what's important. You need to be conquered before your city or nation can be conquered. So the deal is this. I want you to understand moving in to this this year of growth that God is going to prune you because that's how God does growth. And everything's expanding. And I love it because when things are easy, there's an ease attached to the Lord when he does stuff. But in the, in the tension of, of the kingdom, because I believe the kingdom's less about balance and more about tension. Uh, and and I promise you, I'm not going to teach all night. Just, just hang with me. I'm going to be praying for it. It's going to be good. But, you know, a lot of times we talk about balance in the church. We talk about spirit and truth, you know, word and encounter. And we're walking the tightrope of balance But I really believe a better understanding of that is this, that everything in the kingdom, it's not about balance as much as it's about tension. If you think about a string on a guitar, it only makes sound because there's tension at both ends. Why do I say a drum makes sound? Why? Because there's tension on both ends. Why is that important? It's important because there is truth is most found in tension. You understand? And and any time you err to one side, it's not a balancing act. It's the tension of both. And in saying that, I want to make this very clear to you. That when God brings growth and there's ease and increase in blessing, oftentimes there will, at, sometimes at the very same time, there will also be pruning. There will be pruning. God prunes away. And, and I here's what I, I feel. I feel that God wants to conquer you, but in order to conquer the hearts of the people in this family, you have to understand that you cannot be in love with your comfort. You can't be in love with your comfort. I want to tell you this. Three weeks ago, a spiritual father of mine died unexpectedly from a heart attack. He had a heart attack and we thought he was actually going to be okay, but his heart never recovered and he really died unexpectedly. And it, it hit me harder than I knew because Danielle and I were like a mess for weeks. And I just go, gosh, I thought I was going to be over this by now. And um, 
it did something to me. There's nothing like death and the finality on this earth, on this side, to really wake you back up, you know? Because it kind of, and you know, as Jason was talking about the, the throat cancer and the, and the things, like there's nothing like staring death in the face to make you know what you really believe in, what you're living for. I remember the last time I went to be with my spiritual father, he was in Ohio, and um, I, I, I went there. The last time I was with him, I was at a revival. He so longed for God to move in his city. And he had had us up and me and, and a few other close friends, some guys you might know, uh, Jose Diaz and Rick Pino. And we were up there and we were doing this thing. And he so longed. A month later, he died. And his, his heart of hearts was God move in this city. I want to see my city saved. He really, really, really wanted it with all of his heart. And it reminded me his death came at such a time where I said it did something to Danielle and I where we just said, you know what? I'm not living for this world. You know, we sing the songs like, this world has nothing for me. And you're like, it's wonderful and it's gushy. But then we live our life because we have our nice home. And we have our, we have our beautiful life. And we have food. And we have clothes. And we live, we're, we're so unbelievably rich compared to the rest of the world. Because, you know, everything's relative. And I feel like even in that moment, God just said, man, nothing matters but Jesus and his kingdom growing on the earth. There's nothing worth living for. There's nothing. It's all about him. And, and um, I know that sometimes in the balance, right, we talk about balance. Is it family? Is it, is it ministry? You never want to put your family on the altar of ministry. But what I found is this. I have found that there's actually tension to that truth. Because oftentimes if I try to protect my children and give them a cushy, comfortable life, and, and it shows them that following Jesus is really more of just kind of a thing we do. We're not completely sold out to it. I actually find that when I make sacrifice to follow the Lord out of obedience, my children see something real. They peer beyond the veil to say, this is more than just American Christianity, you know, with a little Jesus thrown in we are we cannot be in love with our comfort song of solomon there's a scripture we know that song of solomon is a really a prophetic picture of the maturing of the bride which means you individually and us corporately in that there's a, a part in song of solomon 5 chapter 5 where and i'm not gonna we don't have to go to the scripture right now but the picture of the story is the bride is laying in bed. She thinks she's pretty mature. She's went through some stuff with the Lord. She's grown in her intimacy with God. She's laying in bed in her comfort. And the Lord comes and knocks at the door in the middle of the night. He says, my locks are wet with the dew of the night. It's the Gethsemane man. The Gethsemane man comes, his hands dripping with myrrh, which speaks of suffering love. Suffering love. You've been found, I read it today this morning. You've been counted worthy to suffer with the Lord. You know, this is like, this is more of the, the Grim Reaper, Brad McClendon's message. But, you know, the, the truth is, is that like you've been found worthy to suffer. Here's the point. The bride in the story in song five, she says this. How can I get up? I've already taken my shoes off. I've already. In other words, she's saying I've laid aside my own righteousness. What do you mean? This is the tension of the gospel. It's grace. It's also you giving your life and dying and walking with the cross. It's easy, but it's not easy. It's, it's growth, but it's pruning. And so here's what I believe. I don't want to fall in love with my comfortable Christianity. 
and we don't follow a presence. I'm so sick and tired of a presence that's more like the Aladdin genie lamp than fire by night and cloud by day. Because the last time I checked, the God of the Old Testament is the God that lives inside of us, that raised Christ from the dead, that still changes cities, that shows up in bars on Bourbon Street and smacks people square in the eye and says, I'm alive. And I still heal. And I still, I, I can't do a, a, a Christianity that's not supernatural. I can't do it. I don't want to do it. I want to live in that realm. And the presence of God, when the presence of God becomes domesticated in our services, when we begin to get comfortable, that's the deathbed of religion. I believe our comfort, when we fall in love with our comfort, we lie down easy. In the bed of death called religion. And religion is simply doing anything to or for God that doesn't need his word to do it. It's this worked yesterday. It worked then. We have a schedule to keep. Come out of your lamp. Holy Spirit will let you come out for an hour. But when our agenda comes to call, you must go back in your lamp. Because we're moving on with our service. If there's anything that's been taught to me in Bourbon Street, it's this. I understand it's not the whole picture. Sometimes we fall victim to believing that the way God's moving in our church or ministry is the one key for revival in America. I hate to break it to you, but any fellowship or culture or stream of the church that we find ourselves in, that we don't give honor to other streams and other people and other bodies, we become incestuous. An incestuous fellowship will actually lead to mutated growth. You know that flocks of sheep are actually bred with flocks from other pastures because if they you guys understand that in the royal family when they would try to keep it in the bloodline the children would become you think about Pharaoh you know um, the, 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 all the pharaohs they kept in the same line because of that you you can find this in history that many of the pharaohs they were absolutely deformed and they were mutated why because God has a picture of a spiritual truth in this. Sheep are, are, are bred with sheep from other pastures. Why is this important? Because without it, they become incestuous and mutated. You think you have the whole key. You don't. You think, I, I would be amiss to think that Bourbon Street Revival is the end-all, be-all of God's answer for America. And even for New Orleans, because it's not. You understand, there are people out there that don't do church like you that God really loves and is going to move through. I don't, I don't know if that blows your mind, but it shouldn't because it's real. But I, I know this. I know for this house, this fellowship, our family, because I've been grafted in, as I am, my call in this church, number one, is to be the thorn in his side. Because God sent me I have, and that I have, Paul said I've yet attained, but I have attained, because the thing is, is that whenever men become too prideful with revelation, God sends a thorn in their flesh, welcome Chris Burns into the life, I'm kidding, kind of, I am, I am literally, I will come and my honorariums are not about ministering here or giving like worship. It's to be the thorn in your side. Let that be clear from here forward. I will be here as an old man 40 years from now, literally like 
whispering um, mean and obscene things to David while he's on this stage. 40 years from now, gray hair and all. And we're going to pray the Methuselah anointing over you because we know you got a few years. We need you to keep going. But I digress. I feel that. I feel that if we, we must not fall in love with our comfortability, God will ask you to do things that you previously, previously may have thought he wouldn't ask you to do. So in the pruning, there comes growth. In him conquering you, in him conquering you, which he does tenderly, by the way, in him conquering you, you're going to find this, that as he conquers you, he conquers cities. This is the truth. I, I believe that God wants to take you to a new place of him conquering your life. Where the presence of God is not uh, something to be brought out of its cage for an hour on Sundays and, and immediately put back in when the agenda comes. We've got to flow in the river. We really do have to be tender to him and say, Jesus, in this season, we're going to remember who we are and what you've called us to do. And we're not going to deviate from that point. We've got to go back to the things at first. I feel the Lord saying to, when I was sitting on the chair earlier, even as this was like the early church and I saw the early church thing happening here. I believe the Lord was saying, keep it simple. Don't leave behind. In 2 Corinthians 11, Paul said, don't leave behind the simplicity of devotion to Jesus. If we want to sustain the move of God happening here, we have to sustain a devotional lifestyle amongst the family. It's got to be primary. Or, or then family becomes actually a cheap version of churchy humanism. And this is not family for family's sake. It's family gathering around the presence of God. Let me be very clear. This is not a club. This is not just, yes, the father is a father. He's building family. He's not a manager. He's not building a business. However, if we ever forget that we're gathering only because of family, we don't worship the God of family. We worship the God of fire by night and cloud by day. We are a family as the presence is in our midst. Have you ever noticed that when the presence of God after a worship night or a worship set, have you ever noticed that, that everyone, no one wants to leave? You know why no one wants to ever leave Rock City? You want to know why? Because of the presence of God. And if you forget that the family moves with the presence of God, then you will, we're, we're going to divulge into something we were never made to be. We talk about some of these big movements. I know so many fathers and leaders of big movements who sit with me privately and say, Chris, what we have today is not what I dreamed of in the beginning. And it's so easy, one click off, let's remember the foundations. Let's remember the foundations at Rock City. This is a church of presence. Oftentimes I believe men and women build ministry simply from what's on the inside of them. It will manifest in that way. David built a 24-7 house of prayer, not because it was a trick to get God to come to the earth, but because it was simply the overflow of his internal walk with God. Men will build the ministry that already exists inside of them on their inner life with God. You will build what your inner life looks like. Whatever your inner walk and inner garden looks like with the Lord is how your world around 
around you will look. It's usually a really clear representation. When I find there's dysfunction in my family, in my ministry, in my mindsets, or my paradigms, I always go back to this. It's usually because my inner walk with God, something is, is off. I've missed something. And there's nothing like getting alone with the Lord. You and no one. There's nothing like sitting with Him and letting Him speak when all the masks come off. You can't hide it. You can't fake it anymore. And then He starts to speak and says, Hey, you remember this thing? Let's not forget this because this is important. In that place, we have, listen, devotional, primary devotional lifestyle is necessary to maintain and sustain the frequency and the purity of the move of God corporately. But this is so necessary. Second thing I felt was this. I feel that as long as, Here's how you sustain something. And then I'm going to pray for everybody. Here's what I, 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 I think I'm, I think I've, I've watched this play out in my life and in other people's lives. That when promotion comes, promotion, it was funny, I was, I was literally praying this over Jason. When promotion comes, it's never for the purpose of individual glory. I don't even believe it's for the purpose of, co of corporate glory, of look at our church, look what we have. It's to be spent and invested in, the, in, in, in generations. God is after generations. You're a fool if you think God can take territory without generations. You really are. If we only build something, if we build something that dies with us, we won't see the fullness of it go forward. We won't. We have to think in terms generationally. We can't have this idea of thinking that the end times are close because the world's getting so bad. We have to look at the beauty of the bride as indication of the return of Jesus. He's coming back for a bride without spot or wrinkle. The point is, is that I'm saying how beautiful. When I come to Rock City, I leave with Danielle and I go, there's, there's very few places. I know a few others that are doing it really well. There's very few places that are what's happening here like it's happening here. And I leave stunned. And I leave a little more awake. And I, and I leave a little more seeing the blueprint of God for what He wants to do. If you're going to sustain it and become a model for the church and that for 50 years from now, 60 years of how to do family around the presence, not just family because we love each other. Yes, we do. But we love the presence of Jesus. It's preeminent. Let's not forget. Now, how about this? Moses gets the greatest promotion ever. It's funny because I don't know, but I had a feeling. I said, Lord, I feel like I've actually said this to them before. And then I was reading Philippians chapter 4. And, he said, and, and you know, Paul says, I remind you not to be redundant, but for your safety. Isn't it amazing that Paul didn't need to give a new, fresh, revelatory message I think sometimes we, as preachers, it becomes almost more important to be awed and ooed at with a fresh message from God than it is to come and just remind them of the, of the same thing you've been telling them for years. You know, they said of Paul, he's not real powerful when he comes. He's not real powerful. He kind of says the same stuff. Even though he was the guy that like kicked everything off. They're like, we love the new apostles, man. They got all the fresh words. They got all the, the, the Gnostic ideas. You got to buy this book and do this class and this course and this network to get to the next level. We like that. 
We like the idea of complex Christianity, little all the things we have to do. I will tell you this. Listen, I feel by way of, of the Holy Spirit to remind you of this. Your promotion, and you are in a phase of promotion right now. It's very clear. The phase of promotion is not to be spent on you alone individually or corporately it's to be spent for future generations in mind it's actually to be spent on the whole city so that more could come in when we waste personal promotion on our own selves it dies with us i want to i want to read this to you out of the book of exodus and i want you to go to exodus uh 32 verse 10 now this is a crazy scripture i'll read it quickly after i'm done i want everybody that wants to go home go home everybody that are you taking up another offering i am no just kidding um anybody that wants to go can go anybody that wants to stay you have to get your kids or we will put them in the rain and 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 i'm going to pray for you individually I'm not promising powerful words from heaven, but I'm promising I'm going to refresh. I'm going to release refreshing. You know why? I need refreshing. And Proverbs said, he who refreshes others is refreshed himself. So I'm going to get a big portion of refreshing as I just pour out love. I, I, I said, Lord, what, what do I even say tonight? He said, just, I just want you to love on your family. So I'm just going to love on you tonight. And um, here's the deal. Um, I... I want you to pay attention to this, this final thing I'm going to say. Exodus 32, verse 10. This is the Lord speaking to Moses, okay? He says, now therefore, Moses, let me alone. How many of you know when your spouse says nothing's wrong or leave me alone, it's probably not a good thing. You probably shouldn't leave them alone, or maybe you should. Therefore, leave me alone. Why? I, this is how my wife speaks to me sometimes. That my wrath may wax hot against you and that I may consume you in my fire. M my wife and I didn't sleep at all last night. I won't name names. But here's the point. You need to know. This morning, we, as I drove her to the airport, me and my beautiful bride were bickering at each other as two people who had not had any sleep. And she said, she said, I have a word for you. I said, what is it, honey? She said, it's this. I'm, my, my anger and wrath's burning hot against you and I will consume you in my fire. And I said, honey, I love you. She said, leave me alone. I'm just kidding. But haven't you ever felt like that? There's nothing like that. This is the Lord manifesting his feminine side. I'm just kidding. I was a joke. I'm just kidding. There's literally nothing more terrifying than your wife when she's angry. You know, I mean, it is like I turn, I am a 15 year old boy again, asking to stay out late with my friends when my wife is angry. You know, you think, mom, can I stay out with, with Jeff? No, you got to be. And you're just like, hey, honey, can I stay out a little late? You know, you turn into a teenage boy all over again. Praise the Lord. Therefore, let me alone. Leave me alone. But what's funny about this is that it's actually a real thing that actually happened. God came to his friend Moses and said of an entire nation, Pretty big implications here, if you ask me. Moses, leave me alone because I'm going to utterly consume and destroy the entire nation of Israel. See ya. M Moses. Moses is a friend. And I think sometimes I wonder if in God's omnipotent, all-knowing power, he, I don't know if I have great theology for this other than to say that 
if he's really intimately involved in, with us, he knows all things. Paul said in Corinthians 8 that not that we know God, but we're now known by God. I wonder if God, in some ways, in his divine power, inhibits his own knowledge of things so he can discover us the same way we discover him. All I know is that he says this to Moses, and Moses implores God as a friend. He doesn't back down. He comes as a friend. This is crazy because I know you, and if God came to you and said, hey, idea, want to know what you think about it. I'm going to destroy Rock City and start over with you. You would probably say, great idea, let it be to your word, Lord. However, that's not what Moses did. Notice what he says. He says this, let my wrath burn hot against him that I may consume them and I will make of you a great nation. So he said, I'm going to start over with you. This is the, maybe one of the greatest offers of promotion that God has ever given a man or woman. I'm going to kill everybody and start over with you. Can you imagine? Because if that happens to me, just being real, probably going to take the offer. So that's why I'm preaching this. To talk, I'm preaching myself in to this revelation. Because I'm not there yet. But there is practicality to it. And I'm going to give it to you. Moses pleads with the Lord and says, Why does your wrath burn hot against the people who you brought out of the land of Egypt? And I'll paraphrase all the way down to verse 13. He says, He reminds the Lord of the promise. He reminds the Lord of the promise. The promise was not for Moses alone, but for a group of people, a nation, a family. It was for all to be enjoyed. It was for all to be brought into the promise of the blessing that God wanted to pour out. In fact, Moses says in 13, Remember Abraham, Isaac, Israel, your servants to whom you swore by your own self and said to them, I'll multiply your descendants as the stars of heaven. I think sometimes the reason we've not seen multiplication in the church is because we've seen leaders take personal promotion over corporate blessing and multiplication. And in this instance, I have to believe that the Lord would have followed what Moses would have done. I have to believe that, that th this happens. I have to believe that these friends, they would talk as friends face to face. The Bible says Moses saw the form of the Lord. I have to believe he would have taken that, that these people, an entire nation would have fallen. Don't let anybody ever tell you that your friendship with God, one person's friendship with God can't save an entire nation. Because it did here. Think about that. Your secret place could be literally the, the bed, the deciding factor, the, the, the deciding place of what God does with an entire nation because of your friendship. But friendship, listen, friendship understands the heart of God, the ways of God, not just the acts of God. And the Bible says this clearly about Moses. In knowing his ways, he knows the heart of God is this. I long to bless everyone. How in love are we with our comfortability? How in love are we with our own personal destiny? Will you kick someone down the mountain trying to get to the top of the mountain you've been promised? To your, the idol of your own prophetic word or destiny, are you willing to see other people fall? Or are you preferring them above yourself? Look out not only for your interests alone, but for the interests of others, right? This is scripture. 
That's also found in Philippians. But this is what happens. He reminds him of the generations. He says, God, you're not building something that ends with my ministry. You're building something that's going to live on for many generations. And so Moses says this. He says, so you swore by your own self and said, I'll multiply your descendants as the stars of heaven. In all this land I've spoken of, I give to your descendants and they'll inherit it forever. Listen what happens in verse 14. Just read this. So the Lord relented. The word relented actually means repented. It actually means he changed his mind. The Lord changed his mind from the harm which he said he would do to his people. Wow, Moses changed God's mind. What is the point? The point of all this is this. That multiplication will not come for Rock City. If you as a corporate people and individually aren't willing to trade your personal promotion for the blessing of everyone. I believe God wants to bless the city. This is the body of Christ, Texas. It is no accident that God is building a model of what he wants his body to look like here. Because of that, we have to understand this, that, and I love David's heart, and as long as, as long as he has me in his life, he'll be okay. Because I'm the thorn. And, and it's a thing. I need you more. You know, the more I know, the seek you, the more I know you, the more I know you, the more I love you. Hey, you sang that song to me the other day. I've been caught. You too. I just, I feel, I feel like this thing of, of the Lord just saying like, is it about your, your personal destiny or what God has you in family to do? Because here's, here's the thing. Everybody being touched and being involved and being engaged and being able to taste of the blessing that Moses prayed for was more important to him than his own personal promotion. And I, I realize this, that any apostolic work has to operate in the sense that the builders become the foundation and fade into something you don't see while everyone that is seen is built on their foundation. Does that make sense? We talk about apostles. The, the, it says that the body of Christ is built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. I don't know about you, but it seems to me, and Jesus commended the church. You said, he said, you found the false apostles and found them not to be real. And I applaud you for that. It is actually biblical for us. And we should look around. I think the, some of the most apostolic true apostles of our day will be men you never hear about. You know, I mean, it, it really is. Prophets and apostles you'll never hear about that are underneath the foundation. They fade underneath so that everyone on top of them can taste of the goodness of God and the blessing of God. And there is no greater joy than this alone. I believe we cannot, we have to, we really need to divorce our comfort. God will ask you to do things. You know, I'm literally standing and I'm going to have everybody stand right now because I'm going to have you, you guys come up in, in a few seconds. I, I in my life, um, I keep thinking, surely the Lord is going to give us comfort. Can I be really transparent to give you my heart? When we moved to San Francisco, everything was given. As you may have heard us say, we, we just felt like we gave everything away and we started over. We literally used the $30,000, $35,000 we made off of our home literally we sowed every dime of it into getting to San Francisco and into the move and into the thing God had told us to do. We wasted everything it felt like. 
And I remember thinking, God, okay, that was my great act of sacrifice. I've done it. And there was kind of a thing where Danielle and I said, you know what? We just want to be normal for a little bit. We've just been building. We've given everything. Can we just be normal? And it's, I remember God, when we were done in San Francisco, said, I'm giving you a choice of what you want. And I believe in many ways the lesson, the beauty of God. He let us choose. And we in some ways chose our own sort of comfort. Like, I, wanna, I want the house. I just want a nice place. I want to I have comfortability. And some of those things we, we hadn't had for so long. And I said, God, and you know what? I, I'm here to tell you. The end of that is misery. The end of your, your American dream is misery. Here's a tip. You want to be have a miserable life? Make it about you. You want a miserable existence? Make it all about the, the, uh, your own comfortability and desires. Because you'll be miserable. But if you want to live the most exciting, joyful, joy-filled life, I can promise you this. Live it for other people. And ultimately, in God. And I'm standing right now, I feel like in a place in, in, in my own life. Where I feel, I'm like, Lord, you, you can't actually be serious right now. That you, you want to actually, like, do something crazy where we'd have to freaking move again. And by the way, and by the, and by the way, like, God does all things different. By the way, did I remind you, Jesus, uh, I mean, Jesus came eating and drinking. John came neither eating nor drinking. Everyone's story looks different. Everybody's story looks different. None's worse than the other. I don't know if you forget this, but Jesus was an itinerant minister. So was Paul in different phases of his life. I, the point of it is this. We all have different callings, varied giftings, varied ways and expressions uh, that the Lord uses us. But this one thing is true. If we're more in love with our comfort than with the presence of God and obedience to Him and in love with Him, we will miss it. We will. We have to divorce the comfort thing going into this. This is not about the American dream. This is about the presence of God and the kingdom of the Lamb of God being built in Corpus Christi and being a model in body of Christ, Texas. It's being a model for the world of this is what health looks like in the fullness of family around the presence of God. I believe that. I believe that. So in saying that, I, I just want to encourage you as the Lord comes in this year and things might feel like they're even being cut back, I promise you the Lord's intention is growth. But let the Lord deal with you. I mean, it's funny because I was just thinking about Brad's word saying that some may, but you may not. This is the call. This is the call. We've got to hear God for ourselves. Now, I want to refresh. I want to release refreshing at the end of this whole thing. Especially you guys who showed up tonight. Because I'm shocked some of you came out. You guys are ridiculous. Why did you come tonight? Why did you even come? I don't know why you came. But here's what I'm asking you to do. I love you. And I want to pray over you. And I just want to, to release blessing. If you're going to talk. And you want a fellowship. We'd ask you. You got to get your kids. Okay. Get your kids. They can bring them back in. If you don't get them, we will put them in the rain. And then also, uh, you can come back. But we just, anyone who wants prayer, I want you to just come up to the front.